0: Well, welcome to New Hope. If you are visiting with us this morning, I want to welcome you, and I want to encourage you to just listen today. Just listen. We're not going to make you do anything. We're not going to put you on the spot. We're not going to make you a spectacle. We want to make you feel at home. But I want to encourage you and say, let the Spirit of God have its way today. Amen? Let's just be open and see what God wants to do this morning. Um, I, about a year ago, listened to a message, and it stirred me, so I took notes. I said a few things to the youth about this message maybe five or six months ago. So I want to try to preach it a little more thoroughly today because it stirred my heart. And I've been asking God um, for the past couple of weeks... Just getting up, going downstairs in the darkness early in the morning, taking my phone, putting on some worship, and just asking the Spirit of the Lord to fill me. Because I can't do anything without the Spirit of God. Can you? Nothing. So it's in that prayer time, in that alone time, is where I get everything that I need. And then I walk out sometimes feeling completely humbled, sometimes feeling completely empowered. Ready to go. And I know that in my natural self, I can come across a little overwhelming at times. But I can't be anyone but who God has created me to be. And I've tried. In fact, I tried at a meeting this week. I went in. I had a meeting at some other uh, organization. And I went into the room. And there was a class of maybe 25 kids. And I was trying to just keep it cool. Like, morning, everybody. How are you? Just monotone, normal It's like, here's the thing. I'm just going to say it. It was Mr. Rosser's class at Mideast. I had a meeting for a couple of hours in the morning. I went into the cosmetology department just to say hello to Mr. Rosser. Have a great day. Wish his students a good year. And I went in, and I was just kind of straight-faced, monotone. Morning, everybody. I'm Mr. King, Adam. I'm an administrator at Maysville. I was here for a meeting. I just wanted to say Hello to Mr. Rosser. So he got to talking, and I was, just, I was trying to be calm and normal because sometimes to people that I've never met, it's like, what is wrong with that guy? He's a little too passionate and enthusiastic. So here's what happened. I, I left the room calm and collected, going down the hallway, got about halfway down the hallway. Mr. Rosser peeks his head out of the room and says, Hey, Mr. King. These guys think that you're like, you have no personality. They think that you're just straight faced, monotone. And I said, that's it. So I turned around and I went back and, like, watch this entrance. So I was myself. And how can you be anybody except for who God has created you to be? And I understand that I could come across a little overwhelming at times because I'm just a passionate person. About half of you are. Raise your hand if you're a pretty passionate individual. With No matter where you are, what you're doing, who you're with, it's just who you are. So, imagine what the Holy Spirit does to a person like us who's already kind of over the top. Right? So, I might not have to ask from the Spirit of God for as much boldness, and half of you probably don't, but we do have to ask for gentleness, and kindness, and self-control, right, and humility, and sometimes being a little more calm in situations, so the Spirit of God will take the personality that He has birthed in the temperaments, that He has birthed inside of you, and make them what He wants, to honor Him. Amen? So, this morning's message I'm going to entitle A Good and Perfect Gift. A Good and Perfect Gift. Now, I want to first set the stage and take you back because I believe that in this nation we are going to be entering a time, maybe not quite yet, but you can feel it if you have any discernment in the Spirit. You can feel, if you have kids, what kind of a world are my kids going to be exposed to and raised in? What is the world coming to? I look across the nation and I see persecution at a verbal level beginning, happening. Sometimes physical, but not like it is in other countries. I know that people that attempt to take the streets and be evangelists, maybe they've been spit on or slapped. But most of them have not been beheaded, pulled limb from limb, tortured, set on fire. Are you with me? So if that's before or after the rapture, I don't know. But um but God could pull his church out, but when that happens, God is removing the spirit of God, which is the restrainer of evil. So untold terror will unleash on this earth because the comforter and the peace. The peace of the Spirit of God will no longer be here because his church has going to be removed. Does that make sense to you? So then it's just all-out war. You're a Christian. You've done nothing except for love the Lord Jesus. Like in other countries now, people are being persecuted. But God says, don't worry. I will give you help. I'm going to give you help. It will be sufficient. I'm going to provide to you something that will give you Peace. And a comforter, I'm going to call the Spirit of God. And He will be your help. Amen? So, I'm going to set the stage here. Kind of referring to some things that I heard in a message about a year ago. And I have some uh, screens for you in just a moment. But this is, if I set the stage, Jesus has died. He has resurrected. He is back with His disciples. His disciples are visiting a risen Lord. Kind of hard to believe. So they're visiting a risen Lord. At that time, in that moment of history, the disciples were about to go into an extremely difficult and dangerous time. So we will say in this day and age, give your life to Jesus. It makes everything better. That is false. It makes things an adventure. It makes things maybe dangerous. It makes our young crowd maybe excited to be involved with something so extreme. Because it's not all great all the time. Not most of the time. So listen. In that moment of history, they were saying probably for about the next three centuries, 300 years, that in that time, in that 300 year period, if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, you would be persecuted for it at that time. Or you would be killed for it. Period. Right? So Jesus is trying to equip them to be ready for those things because hardship was happening and will continue to happen in a brutal way for the next 300 years at that time. And I believe, and if you have any discernment of all in the Spirit of God, that we're probably not far from repeating that history. Do you see it? Do you feel it? Do you have a global, biblical worldview? So, Jesus said to his disciples and always assured his disciples that we would be guaranteed a few things. Number one, that we would be crazy fearless. We would not have fear because that's what the Spirit of God does. When the Spirit of God comes, it says, and I gave them boldness, and they began to speak boldly. So he removes fear. What are you afraid of? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit this morning? He said, you will be crazy fearless. Ask for boldness. Be strong and courageous, the Bible says. Fear not, the Bible says. Number two, you will be absurdly and sometimes annoyingly happy. And people won't understand you. They won't understand it. You will have joy all the time. And and they won't understand why. I get called certain things at my school, and I can't say that I can take credit for it because in my spirit and in my heart, I know that it's the Spirit of God that makes the difference. When you are at your job, a job that may be in where you've misrepresented the Lord Jesus, but the Spirit of God fills you and puts you right back in that job and makes a difference and changes people around you because of your testimony. So you will be fearless. You will be happy and joyful. And the third thing is you will be in constant trouble. You're going to be fearless. You will be happy and joyful. But you're going to be in trouble. Because Jesus, in what he says about being the only way the truth and the life doesn't allow room for the practice of any other religion so it's not popular so you are going to be in trouble. You will be fearless you will be joyful and absurdly happy but you will be in constant trouble write these three things down and remember them so listen Don't be afraid of that because just when you think a situation or a circumstance is over your head and undoable and you can't get through it, it might be over your head but it is under God's feet. Amen? So listen very carefully. I want to give you some background here and some history, and even bring up a couple of pictures of where my wife and I have traveled, and maybe a couple of you can relate to this. I want to talk about William Bennett. William Bennett was the Secretary of Education under Ronald Reagan for a few years in the time of the 80s. Now, William Bennett was a saved man. He was a man of God. He had written several books, but he had um, written a book not too long ago called Tried by Fired, the Story of Christianity's First 1,000 Years. Okay, So he was the Secretary of Education in Washington, D.C. under Reagan for three or four years. So this book that he had written is kind of an updated version of Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it's about 29 different persecutions that came to the church. And like in China and South Korea and even North Korea, especially North Korea, and all of these places where persecution is happening, where the enemy is trying to snuff out the Word of God, churches are growing, not folding. Does that make sense? And that's what happens under pressure. Amen? Even in our own lives. So the churches under that persecution wouldn't begin to collapse. They would actually grow and become prosperous. So this guy had written a book. Now he's talking about different things that had happened starting from when Jesus had ascended into heaven. Okay, So... I want to talk a little bit more personally about what my wife and I have seen, and I know a few of you have traveled to, um, to Europe and to Italy and to Rome, and we see these things. So this book has included, um, you can see some pictures here that, um, of some statues from Nero to Diocletian um, to those even portrayed in recent movies like um, Gladiator several years back. Awesome movie. It, it, it's historical, but they wouldn't portray certain things okay because they couldn't properly portray how just how persecuted the christians were so they didn't put certain things in that movie okay it was based around the gladiators fighting under the ty- under the tyranny and the rule of these leaders of nero and diocletian and even marcus aurelius and commodus okay so we look at the movie gladiator and these people were unflinching persecutors of Christians. They would get their entertainment by it. They would laugh at it. They would cheer for it. They would drink their wine and eat, and they would stand to their feet and cheer for the death of Christians. Okay? Now, in the movie Gladiator, I'm sorry, let's go to pictures where Jen and I actually were. These were pictures that we actually took. I know that Penny has been to the Colosseum. Anyone else in here been to Rome? One, two, three, of maybe four people. Pretty awesome. So we're going and we're like, we're seeing all this history. And we're like, man, this is great. But you can't not think about, because you get wrapped up in taking pictures and we were here and it was awesome and all the history... But in these places, and I took a picture of the cross. That is a picture I took behind where a cross was resurrected, where the emperors would sit, Marcus Aurelius and Commodus and all these people. They would sit, and before the gladiators would come out, they would actually have families, Christians. You've seen this in old movies, but they took this out of the movie Gladiator because it was so brutal, and they couldn't properly portray how horrible the persecution of Christians were, so they didn't put it in there. That's what Ridley Scott said, the director, one of the directors of the movie Gladiator, which I looked up and finally found this article, and I read all through it. So he said, we took it out because it couldn't properly portray just how persecuted and brutal, brutal of a mess they would make of Christians. So, that cross was erected where the emperor would sit before the gladiators would come out and they would cheers their wine and eat and celebrate as the Christians were brought in for no other reason except for loving the Lord and spreading a message that was truth and absolute and loving. So he would sit where that cross was and we would go around to the other side of the Colosseum and we would look over at that cross and I couldn't help but think, this. Like I'm thinking in my head, this is awesome, look at this picture. And then I'm like, there were people that were unflinching, sitting right there, hundreds, maybe a thousand years ago, two thousand, in the years like after the apostles, in like one hundred and seventy A.D. and three hundred A.D. And they would mock you and I, and they would put you to death. Some thinking how, how they get their entertainment from it, but God says, "I'm going to give you help." To be able to go through some things that are coming. Being mocked. You, we can deal with being mocked with the Spirit of God. Because we can't without the Spirit of God. So what had happened was an article that came out. And you can go to this. It was in the Patriot Resource and it was about Gladiator. Ridley Scott who actually began this movie left out a deleted scene. And I, and I actually found, I looked for hours because it's hidden. And I found it. And I saw it, but it cuts out. So in this movie, Gladiator, it's not in the movie, but you can see where, tell me who it was. Russell Crowe, who is in the, the, the billows of the Coliseum where we walked. And he's back there. In fact, one of the pictures that was shown where they could look on and see what was happening in the Coliseum. And before the gladiators would go out, it shows Russell Crowe in this clip with the camera behind his face looking out at a family. And a father is knelt down in this deleted scene, and he has a son right here, family, his wife. And he's holding them, and this son's head is here looking at his dad. And the son looks back at Russell Crowe in the movie, and then a lion comes out, a huge lion with a mane, hungry, And the lion makes its way towards that family. And the lion starts to climb up the back of the father. And the scene cuts. So we wouldn't want people to know that Christians, that's how badly they were persecuted. But he said, we couldn't portray it in the movie, so we didn't even include it. Because it was brutal back then. And it was entertainment. And God says, but I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to send you help. Amen? Amen? You will be crazy, fearless, you will be absurdly happy, but you will be in constant trouble. So the apologist Francis Schaefer from the 1960s was asked, why, why did they kill Christians? Listen to this part. Why did they kill Christians? And he said, listen very carefully. He said, it wasn't for worshiping Jesus. It was because they wouldn't worship and acknowledge the other gods of the Roman Empire. Hear this. Get this. You have to understand that they were saying to them, You can worship your Jesus. It's just like today. You can worship your Jesus, but you have to call every other religion legit. It's just like today. This is the generation that we are living in today. It's not that we worship Jesus and believe what happened through his son. It's because we won't acknowledge every other religion as legit. And this is happening. See, but the problem is is that Jesus, the one, the lamb that was slain, doesn't leave it open for discussion. See, he doesn't doesn't say, I'm on a level playing field with all of these other religions. All roads lead to Rome. Everything is equal. Worship how you want. I don't care if you are a Buddhist, if you are some type of monk on the backside of a mountain. It's all good, is what they want you to say. If you're new age, if you're Rastafarian and you think doing the stuff they do, it's fine. Everything's good. So we have to recognize Muslims and every other religion as legitimate. We can worship Jesus but everything else has to be equal. So the persecution wasn't because you worship Jesus. It was because you're not recognizing and acknowledging every other religion as legitimate. Does this make sense to you? And this is the expectation of the world who says, open your mind. Don't be so narrow focused on one way. But I believe that we could be entering a time where that's going to get more and more intense. And Jesus said, don't worry, I'll equip you. I will give you what you need. You will be fearless, you will be happy, you will be joyful, but you will be in trouble. And he says, I will give you help. I will give you a gift, the Bible says. How many, of you received, how many of you have received gifts in the past? Good gifts, great gifts from someone. Put your hand up. No one's gotten a gift. Put your hands up. You've received gifts. How many of you, be honest here, have received gifts that you're like, what were they thinking? What kind of a gift is this? In fact, maybe you have a special drawer for those gifts. So you can say years later, if they say, hey, do you still have the gift I got you? You can undoubtedly say, yes, I do. And you don't say it's in a special drawer all by itself, but you have it. Or maybe you throw it out because it wasn't a good gift. It wasn't a useful gift. Okay? So we've had a lot of gifts over the years. Some it's like, wow, some are great. So. James 1:17 says this: Every good and perfect gift is from above. Good and perfect. Every gift from above is good and perfect. So in education this is what we do. All of you teachers, curriculum directors, administrators, we unpack things, don't we? We take a standard and we unpack it and we see what it says. We look at the essential understandings and the stretch learning and all these things. We unpack it, strip it down, and we create maybe, you, maybe you've done I can statements and its goals. Things that you want your students to accomplish. So you're unpacking what it means. So if we unpack those a couple of words from James 1.17, the word good is in Old English and we might go back to this, especially some of us who have a little bit more experience at life, and we know not to say good, good, or goodest, right? But And good is not really the word that I want to use, but the word good in itself is something in Old English called a superlative. Everyone say superlative. So a superlative ends in EST. Who remembers this stuff from English? A couple of you. Okay, so for example... For example, we could say like in the state of Ohio, in the month of June, it is hot. In the month of July, it is hotter. And in August, it's at its hottest. Right? So we have some people that take the pulpit here. Right? So maybe we could say, Chase is cool. Right? And then we might say, well, Jason D. is cooler. But Pastor Joe... Come on. He's the coolest. Right? So do you, do you understand what this is saying here? So it's saying that when you look at the word get, good, it's the best. It's the best gift that can happen. So if... You break this down, in a word perfect means in this scripture, it's the best you've ever had. And it's not only that, it's something you can always use. It's not a gift that you forget where it is. It's not a gift that you chuck aside. It's not something you throw away, and you say, how am I going to use this? This will be good for a few weeks, and I'll have to throw it out. It is the best, and it is something you will always be able to, to use, always. It is good and it is perfect. Amen? So, Jesus is saying, in order to get you through what you're going through, I have to give you a good and a perfect gift. And it is the gift of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do Christianity without the Holy Spirit. It is impossible. So, if we go to Acts 1.8... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And listen to this part. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So everything maybe you see or fear or are nervous about the Holy Spirit, just kind of chuck that aside for right now. Because when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, we start thinking about what happens on TV. No one is going to bring you up to the front and right hook you to your unconsciousness and say that you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's okay. We're not going to do that to you. We're not going to knock you out. If it happens, it will be real in this church. Amen? And it could happen. Amen? We want it to happen, don't we? So listen carefully. So if you look at TV, everything you know, don't think about those viewpoints and what people fear about the Holy Spirit. The infilling of the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully. It's something that old things pass away. Old things become new. To go back to the 1970s and 80s for us that are old enough to remember. Not all these spin-off comics and spin-off Supermans and spin-off Marvel comics and all these things. But the original Superman, Clark Kent, six foot four, he's transformed. He becomes something different. He goes into the phone booth, he comes out, he's not the same. He's absolutely changed by what had taken place in the phone booth. He is someone new. It is a changing. Do you understand that if we still struggle sometimes with the same thing over? And over, and we're sad and we're depressed. Listen to me, you might not, you're probably not filled with the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says mercies are renewed every day for me, and to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. Because I'm gonna get to this in a moment. Something happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it changes. Everything. It is good. It is perfect. And when you are filled and touched by the Holy Spirit, people around you know it. They might not be able to put it into words that that person has the Spirit of God inside of them. Maybe we should stop speaking Christianese to people and just be normal Christians and show some love to people because that's what Jesus did. He had these expectations, but he didn't say stop sinning and come to me. He said, come to me, and the Spirit of God will change you. You will have a transformation. The Spirit of God will fill you. So I heard this example, and I thought, this is perfect. I don't understand popcorn. You can keep it on this screen if you would like. I heard this example preached about a year year ago, and I thought, that is perfect. You have popcorn. My wife and I love popcorn. We get a decently healthy version. You can have popcorn every night if you want to, a controlled amount. You have a nice little cranberry juice and some water. Maybe wrapping your night up, eating some popcorn. Who likes popcorn? I don't understand popcorn, I heard this man say. And I can get on board with the fact that when I take a bag of popcorn this side up, I put it in the microwave for maybe two minutes, two minutes and 20 seconds, whatever it is. I try to get all the kernels to pop. That's the goal. Popcorn's crazy. So I pull it out and I'm like, you didn't do your job. There's like 30 kernels that didn't pop. Now you have to understand that every one of these kernels were undergoing the same thing. They were in the same room. They were experiencing the same thermal energy. They were in the same place. They were all experiencing the same buzz. They had the same light on them. They were in the same situation. But some of the kernels were so stubborn. They can't pop. During worship this morning. Spirit of and everyone's get not everyone because there's some kernels that are so stubborn they can't pop. Maybe today will be your popping day. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you will be. Absurdly happy. You will be joyful. You will be fearless. We can't casually worship the Lord. He didn't give me a casual deliverance. He didn't save me casually. Maybe today is your popping day. We're all in here experiencing the same thing. But some are yet to pop. Two thoughts here as we look at Acts 1.8. Number one, write this down. You will receive power. You will receive power. Now listen very carefully. In my own experience being raised in church... I'm thinking because I didn't experience certain things that maybe I don't have the impact or the effect of ministry that maybe some others do who experience some things first and then God delivered them from those things to be able to speak to people who are dealing with similar issues. And then I started to think, that doesn't make sense. And I'm thinking, I've never been an alcoholic. I've never even tried drugs God kept me pure in my virginity until the day I married my wife. The Spirit of God filled me when I was 16 years old. I had great parents that raised me in church. I sang in the choir all up through. I was preaching and ministering at 18 years old. I would preach, in some cases, in classes when I was in high school. It came around to me when I was a junior and a senior and said, Tell us a little bit about yourself. You were supposed to bring an object. I didn't bring anything, but I always wore a gold necklace with the cross. Pulled it out, supposed to be two minutes, turned into 30. People were crying, people were confessing their sins, wanting to ask me to pray for them. Teacher didn't want me to stop. She was crying. Spirit of God, yeah. not me. Yeah. Not me. So I'm doing all these things, but I hadn't experienced all these things that 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 made me. Um, more eligible to go back into the world and to preach deliverance to those who are going through what I went through. I remember being asked at that age at 18 years old to go into jails, inmates, prisons, 350 pound muscle bound rapists and murderers and I'm like, what am I going to say to them? I don't have what it takes. I haven't experienced these things so how can I do this? And I was married at 20, and I was a youth pastor at 21, 17 years ago this month. Crazy. Going places where I had no idea to speak to certain people. Being called, Adam, can you go here? Can you go there? And I'm like, yeah, I guess. But I knew God was calling me, and I didn't want to not do it because I felt ill-equipped. I wanted to attempt to be obedient to the Lord. Crazy fearless, joyful and happy, but in constant trouble. So I started to think, and I heard it said like this, that people would say, well, maybe you shouldn't go to this place. Maybe you should send somebody with tattoos all over their body to minister to the ones who have tattoos all over their body. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. That, imagine if that's how God had set it up in the Word of God. The best way of effective ministry is to experience the world? What? The most effective way to minister is by experiencing God. You are equipped. You can go anywhere He calls you to go anywhere and speak to anyone because the Spirit of God tears down every wall. See, Jesus didn't say, taste and see, that the world isn't good. How many young people do we have that say, I just need to experience the world first and learn for myself? No, you do not. The most powerful testimony, like Leonard Ravenhill says, is to take an unholy person, make them holy, put them back into an unholy world, and keep them Holy. It's Josiah, not left, not right. You do not have to experience the world to give yourself a story or a testimony. Amen? I'm trying to be calm. Imagine how ridiculous I would be to say, Phil! I'm going to need you as we leave here today to get hooked on drugs so you can minister to the drug addicts. Makes sense. Or if I say, Jace, I'm going to need you to go become an alcoholic so you can minister to those enslaved by the bottle. Makes sense. Pastor Joe, we're going to need you to do some murdering so you can minister to our murderers. So you have that experience first. How crazy is this? What if I said, Chase, go be a bum for a little while so you can minister to the homeless. So you can empathize with them. How ridiculous is this? We're going to need the women. You need to be prostitutes so you can effectively go downtown and minister to those on the street corner. How crazy are we? How can I talk to them? I, I, don't, I haven't experienced that. I know nothing about it. The best way to minister is experience God. He will equip you. He promises to make you bold if you ask him. So it's not from experiencing sin, it's from experiencing the infilling of the Holy Spirit. See, God gives us the power to do anything when he gives us the Holy Spirit. Helping open blind eyes. Helping set captives free. Helping open prison doors to those who are bound. That is in me if the Spirit of God is in me. Be ready because what is coming, we need this good and perfect gift inside of us, Bruce, do we not? Jen and I absolutely love the Olympics. And I found an article, it took forever to find, there's part of it in the LA Times from 1998, so you're talking 19 years ago. I love the Olympics, I like the Winter Olympics, especially like all the Summer Olympics, there's, it's fun to watch, who likes the Olympics? So in 1998, and by the way, we I mean, we even have one of our own, a kid who was once shorter than me, and now he's six seven, three-something, muscle-bound, throwing shot in Chula Vista, California, JC Moraski, John Moraski. Training for the Olympics. That's awesome. I told him the other day, or a while ago, I said, I'm gonna be your spiritual advisor and I'm gonna go to Tokyo with you so I can pray with you and help you and so I'm waiting when he gives me a call. Penny and Mike, if you could just remind him of that. Um, so, so check this out. The Winter Olympics in Nagano, Japan in 1998, there was an article, and I don't know if you remember this, if you watched it, but they were in Nagano, Japan. There's all kinds of mountains, and the snowstorm hits before the games start. I don't know if you remember that. And they had to postpone the Olympics for a day and then two days, and then three days, and then it was the fourth day, and they're still like, we still can't open the slalom and open the cross-country course and open this and that. It was storming. How awesome would that be, like skiing up and just snow and powder? and They couldn't see their, their hand in front of their face. And in the midst, I heard this story, and I read this article, and in the midst of that winter storm on the mountain, there was a grove of trees in the midst, in the high elevation of that mountain that were in full bloom in the middle of this storm. So they sent geologists up to check this out. Like, what, what is the explanation for this storm? The Olympics can't happen because of this storm being so severe. And he, they sent up geologists to find out why. And they found out that the roots of this cluster of trees were actually in contact with volcanic activity. So that tells me That no matter what is going on with your life, the storm that you are going through, the tears that you shed, that you're undone in your time with God, and there's broken families happening, and death happens in your family, and you lost your job, but as long as your roots are in contact with the volcanic activity of the Spirit of God, no storm can shake you nothing on the outside can affect what's happening on the inside of me because it's touching fire. My gosh. So I'm asking for the past two weeks underneath the stairs, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. That's that's almost all I've prayed. And I've tried to remember situations that are going on in the church, but I'm like, fill me, fill me. Fill me, because we spend most of the time saying, get rid of this. Get rid of that. Help me with this. 30th time at the altar for this. I've been addicted for 20 years. Help me, help me, help me. But we should be saying, fill me, fill me, fill me, because when I'm filled, it pushes things out. Are you getting this this morning? We can be empowered by this this morning. My gosh, my gosh. So check this out. What the Bible says is that God wants to touch us in all the areas that we need help with. However, he says, I'm going to start with the most untamable organ, which is your tongue. You can't say whatever you want. The tongue, as the Bible says, untamable, untamable. The power of life and death are in the tongue. And he says, the reason why I'm going to start with the tongue is because you're going to be my witnesses. And a lot out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever you say, covered up or not, that's in your heart. <laughs> so God says, if you allow me to touch your tongue, I am going to touch You with the fire of God, and your mouth will be changed. By the Spirit of God, I haven't cursed since January of 95. But it's not just cursing and swearing. You might say, that's impossible. That's one of the things I struggle with. But it's not just cursing. The power of life and death are in the tongue. Ephesians 4 says, let no corrupt communication proceedeth out of your mouth, except for that which edifieth. Those who are listening, think of your family, your relationship with your spouse, the people in the church. Because sometimes that's the hardest. Like we can a lot of times deal with people at work, but when we get to church, especially if you've been here for a long time, we can get attitudes. We can get annoyed. Like, Why in the world would she do that? Why would he say that? Right? We have to make sure that God is touching the most untamable part, which is our tongue. And that's what he'll start with. Because he changes your language. He changes your vernacular. He changes how you speak to people and what you stop saying. The Holy Spirit gets me through the hardest times of my life. Amen. Number two, I want you to write down, and you will be, both capital letters, you will be my witness. You will be my witnesses. And this is hard because I was talking to the youth a few months back saying, you know, you might have trouble with this. God hasn't done anything for me. I don't know what to say. I'm not smart enough. I don't even live like a Christian. It's too hard. I'll get made fun of. I don't feel like it. Nothing will change anyway. It won't matter. No one will listen. It might start a fight. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't have answers. I can't memorize scripture. But the Bible says when he fills us, you become his witnesses. So I've been in court the past few days. I'm not handling truancy at the school anymore, so I should be in court hardly ever. But I got called from something that happened seven months ago. And now I am the number one witness in this case. Because I'm the only one out of about 20 different parties that the truth has been spoken to. And I just found that out this week. So now I'm going to be on the stand and questioned and cross-examined. Witnesses have more emotion. Nothing against lawyers. Lawyers are great. Christian lawyers, God bless you. Do your job. But they usually will just go through the motions. There's not a whole lot of emotion. This is this person that person they did this we plead guilty we're at the mercy of the court blah 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 and there's not a whole lot of emotion but the witnesses when they take the stand like a mother that's trying to trying to speak for a daughter or someone that was there someone that saw it someone that heard it see witnesses are full of emotion so I'm prepping for this trial this week, and I'm thinking, all I have to do is do my part and speak the truth. Simple. This is where we get confused. The Bible says it doesn't say in Acts that you will do witnessing, because doing something is part of a to-do list. You have to check it off. Yeah, I went to Mexico and Africa and even downtown and witnessed. That's something you do. It's not that. It's not a checklist. It's not uh, the church is meeting after here to go hand out bags down here, blah, 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 blah. You're like, I did my part. No, you did witnessing. You don't do witnessing. You be a witness. You become something different. So it's not something I do. It's something I become. I don't do something. I become something. Something. There's no time constraints around where we block off time to witness. Yeah, I witnessed once. Yeah, I witnessed today to a man. No, no, no. You become a witness. You are a witness 24-7 all the time in your home, your family, your job, your school. You are becoming. You be a wit- You can't help it because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's now who you are. I've had people say to me recently, I went to another meeting, I walked in and a, and a person grabbed me and said, I'm so glad you're here. And of all things that they could have said, they said, you calm me. <laughs> I'm like, really? Like, I, like <laughs> me? <laughs> so, and they said, you calm And I thought, that's the spirit of God. And I don't, like, rattle and shake and make people go crazy. I, I, I do handle situations in a calm manner when it calls for it. But i got to ask God and the Spirit of God to make me calm and to understand before being understood in those types of things. I also some, had someone say to me, your energy, your passion and enthusiasm are contagious. I'm like, that's God. In my heart, in my mind, I'm like, that's the Spirit of God. Someone calls me Mr. Happy all the time. I was like, yes, because I don't have a long-standing reason to be unhappy. I have a lot of reasons to be happy. We usually focus on the things that are messing up our lives. I, you need to make a list and in and, and your prayer time and say, here's what I'm thankful for. Here's why I'm happy and joyful. Make it, post it, look at it, and remind yourself. Hey, here comes Mr. Happy. It's almost like it's a jealousy. And I'm like, but it's not me. It's the Spirit of God. I've given that to him. I'm saying, God, right now, I'm mad. I'm angry, but I want you to make the difference in my life so it gives people hope. Yeah. Amen. It's true. Always smiling, they say. You're always positive. Like, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? Is the alternative better? Why are people annoyed by it? Because they don't have it. The Spirit of God guides me into all truth, it gives me joy. The Spirit of God keeps me composed. The Spirit of God goes with me to the job. The Spirit of God helps guide my marriage. The Spirit of God gives me freedom, and who the sun sets free is free indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Make you free. Not keep going back. Make you free. Stay free. The Spirit of God does that. The Spirit of God keeps you through high school. Keeps you through college. The Spirit of God, you're like, well, the evidence is tongues. It's one, it's one evidence. I can speak in tongues all day. And I have since I was 16 prayed in tongues in my prayer time. But if I don't have love, if I don't have patience, Spirit of God, fill me with love. Fill me with patience. Patience, these are also fruits and manifestations of the Spirit of God. You can speak in tongues all you want, but if you're doing something on Facebook and posting something negative, then you don't have these other things. One small evidence, God says you can speak in tongues all you want, but if you don't have love, patience, the Spirit of God gives me kindness, gentleness, guidance, self-control, correction, conviction, encouragement, power, wisdom, knowledge, discernment. These are all manifestation and fruits of the Spirit of God. This morning for the altar call, everyone's coming to the altar. We're going to shut off the lights, and you're going to ask God to fill you. You don't need to go nuts. You don't need to pray loud. You can if you want, but we're going to say, God, you need to fill me. I'm asking you to fill me again because of the times that are coming are only going to be dealt with with the Spirit of God living inside of me. I lift up mine eyes to the hills. This isn't a screen. Where does my help come from? This scripture is not saying that your help comes from the hills. Back in the day, people would look to the hills. Because the army, they would flank the enemy and they're like, I need extra help. Just wait. They'll be here. So they're looking to the hills for reinforcements. No, the Bible is saying, where does my help come from? I'm lifting my eyes to the hills. No, no, no. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of those hills and of heaven. I don't have to look for help in any other direction but God, vertically, right here. Amen? God brings peace from pain. He brings comfort from calamity. He brings triumph from tragedy. This church has been part of all significant parts of my life since I was a boy, 16. Christmas of 94, my first service. January of 95, I was changed. A lot of significant things have happened in my life in this church. I was saved at the altar when there was an altar over in the fellowship hall, maroon carpet and wood pews. And I went to the altar up on the right side and I gave my heart to the Lord. Not too much f- further down the road, I went up to the left side. Lenny was there. People were there. I, was re- I received the gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. But I'm still asking God, you've got you to give me love. you got to give me patience. you got to give me kindness. Self-control? I, I, the, our proposal was messed up. I meant to propose at a nice restaurant. Jen runs into a friend, April 2nd of 1998. She runs into a friend, an hour goes by, I'm like, I got a ring burning in my pocket. I'm like, I got my family waiting on me, a a nice little party back on Jackson Road, house, everyone knew it was happening except for my wife. I had nothing. I hadn't done anything, so I'm like, I was heading back to the house, I'm like, I'm going to be at the house in two miles, and I hadn't proposed yet. So I pull over, go up the church parking lot driveway, and I propose to my wife in front of the church office. I get out of the car, go down, go around, get down on one knee, read Proverbs thirty-one and Galatians, or sorry, Genesis two twenty-four, and and I propose to my wife. Significant parts of my life have happened on this property, in this building, in that building, in the youth building. Deliverance. From sin. Connectivity with the body of Christ. Salvation. I was prophesied over three or four times on this property. Significant. I love my wife a lot. The Spirit of God helps me to love her the way that I'm supposed to love her. And as much as I love my wife, we have this ongoing thing. Nine, almost 19 years later, we'll be married 19 years in January, for those of you who have been a part of all of this. It's been a long time. It means you're 19 years older as well. And so I love my wife, but there's this, there's this thing that happens. Guys, you can relate. I like food. I, being from an Italian background, you would think there would be an understanding. I would go to parties. Pastor Joe's mom would give me, I'm like, I'm into the family, and she would give me plates of food. Here's a plate of pasta and lasagna, everything homemade from scratch, sauce. You guys, how many of you had Grandma Evelyn's homemade stuff? So, and if I only eat two full plates of heavy lasagna, she's asking me, what's the matter with you? You sick? Eat up! And I'm like, it's great. Eat, right? All the time. So my wife, you little thing, you. When we go out to eat and we purchase things, come on, men. And we go to wherever we go. And I'll say, babe, what would you like? I'll order. And a lot of times her answer is, I'll just have some of yours. No! Are you kidding me? Men, raise your hands. Come on. I'll just have some of yours. All the time, 19 years later, I can't eat a full one. I'll just have some of yours. Would you like, we we go on rides in our car and get special drinks, coffees, teas, shakes, things, and just hold hands and drive and drink special drinks, we call them. And do do you want anything? No. So if I'll get, I'll just have a sip of yours. I'm like, I will buy you your own. We we can. I can afford to get a, a drink. I we can buy you your own. Do you want to? Sh- do you can? Do you want to share dessert? No. How many of you men can relate to this? I don't share food. Who can relate? Food is one of the greatest things in life right? Man, and I try to eat healthy, but when there's a cheat meal or a cheat day, and and she's like, I'll just have some of yours. I'm like, no, you can't. My point, (laughs) my point, listen to this. I will share food when one thing happens. I'm full. Can you relate? Listen to me. When you're full, you'll share. When you're full, you'll share. Are you getting this this morning? When you are full, you'll share. You don't need a course online. You don't need a class to take. When you're full, you'll share. I don't need to go to seminary, although I tried it when I was 19 and 18 years old for six months. You will become witnesses when you are filled. God is the only one who can take you where you've messed up your witness at a job or at a place or in your family. And you could be actually placed back in that exact same spot where you denied him or misrepresented him. And then you are able to be a witness where you are at that point because of the Holy Spirit. Today, Lord Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Amen? I need the lights to go down. I need all lights off. I need everyone to their feet. I have one more scripture, and it comes from Luke 11. And it says this, because sometimes we tend to complicate things. It says, and I say unto you, because this is the simplicity of getting filled I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one, every one that asketh, receiveth. And he or she that seeketh, findeth. And to him or her that knocketh, it shall be open. Verse 11 says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is his father, will you give them in return a stone? Or if he asks fish, will will he give him instead of fish a snake? Verse 12, or if he asks you for an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? Verse 13 says, so if you, then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give, listen, the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Ask Him. But it can't be that simple. It is that simple. Ask Him. Now listen, right before we come up. The words back in the day that He uses here for food are fish and eggs. In that day, fish and eggs were were staples in that diet. Staples. What that says to me is that the Holy Spirit, listen to me carefully, isn't a luxury. Isn't reserved for certain people. It is a staple in the Christian diet. So it's not a luxury, listen carefully. It's a necessity. It is food every single day. You need it. Amen. One of the most profitable businesses on the face of the planet are gift cards. Forty percent of gift cards are thrown to the side, forgotten, lost, never redeemed. Those companies are making out big time. Because someone didn't cash it in. How many of you are given the opportunity this morning for a good, the best gift, and perfect, something you will always use every day, are not cashing in on what God is giving you as a gift? You have to say this morning, this morning, I'm cashing in on it. And I'm stepping up to the altar with my church. And we're gonna ask for God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. I have a four-minute song. Things can happen in four minutes that will change the course of your entire life. Simply ask. We can start the music. And I want as many as of you that can fit to come down here as a church body And let's ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit for the coming days because we need the Holy Spirit. Michael.